Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. This live Wine and Chisme podcast event wouldn't have been possible without our in-kind sponsors, including our wine sponsors, Cezones Wine and Solorio Family Wines, our VIP bag contributors, Rizos Curls, Vivek Cosmetics, and House of Hefas, our venue partner, V12 Yoga, Cadena Collective for dressing me in their beautiful clothes and accessories, and our hotel partner, The Beeman Hotel. I would like to thank my friend Veronica Torres Hasley for providing a pre-panel meditation and sound bath and my friend Scott O'Reilly from Oboy oh Productions for doing the videography and creating some amazing updated sizzle reels. And of course, to all those who attended and made my dreams come true, I appreciate you more than you could ever know. Muchos abrazos to you all. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. that we have here today because we have some amazing Latinas who know their stuff and if we have time we can answer you know you can ask questions but I just want to say thank you all for coming here this is the second event that we've done the first one was in LA in April and when I started the podcast this was always what I envisioned I always envisioned I've talked to with Francesca I've talked to with my best friend who I've known since freshman year in high school and with my friends like ever since I started this podcast the dream of mine was to be able to not just continue to amplify voices across communities of color but to be able to travel and to take this kind of on the road and have like wine and cheese made live which is what we're doing so the fact that you guys are all here you're part of this group I want to introduce our panelists. I'm going to start with Dr. Leti. Dr. Leti Cabezas is a highly accomplished individual with a diverse skill set and extensive experience in social work. As the founder and CEO of Canenta Center for Healing and Empowerment, she's been instrumental in promoting healing and empowerment among the Hispanic community. Dr. Leti's commitment to social work is further reflected in her role as the founder of Canenta Foundation, which focuses on providing support to vulnerable populations while breaking financial and language barriers. So welcome, Dr. Leti. <laughs> Next, we have Dr. Sandra Lozano, and my nickname for his doctora, <laughs> when she's being silly. Uh, Dr. Sandra Lozano is currently finished, well, she just finished up her second residency in preventative medicine and she is heading back to Dallas. 
uh, in her home city to she will be she's to work for the Dallas County Health and Human Services as medical director of public health. Her first love was women's health and completed an OBGYN residency and practiced over 10 years in both private and public sectors. She became interested in public health and topics such as health disparities and social detriments of health and therefore obtained a master's in public health. She loves to read, hike, and paddleboard in Austin, but she's not going to be there because she's going to come back to Dallas. So welcome, <laughs> Dr. Lozano. We're just going to take that whole Austin thing out. Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> And then, last but certainly not least, my friend Francesca Martinez. Francesca is currently the National Director of Health Equity in the Office of Health Equity based out of the National Center in Dallas, Texas. She also serves as the Program Manager for the newly formed National Hispanic Latino Cardiovascular Collaborative that aims to increase diverse representation in the health and medical sector, as well as amplify his, uh, Hispanic Latino health needs. Additionally, she manages over 20 national strategic alliances and partnerships that contribute to the American Heart Association impact and mission. So welcome, Francesca. Okay, like, we have some badass Latinas, right? Come on. This is amazing. I'm so excited. I don't know how much I'll sit. Maybe some of you. So I want to thank you all for being here because I think it's so important for us to talk about health and wellness within communities of color. Obviously, we're all Latinas, so particularly within the Latino community because so often we are not taught. We are so much often taught, whatever the doctor says, that's what you do. We're not taught to ask questions. We're not taught to stand up for ourselves. We're not taught about mental health and being you know, the first gen or an immigrant and having to do the translation and what kind of toll that takes on you. So, Dr. Letty, I want to start with you. Okay? Because I feel like it all starts with the minds, right? As you're in your practice, what do you see most often when it comes to the Latino community and mental health? And is it mostly immigrant and first-gen children, or do you feel like it expands beyond that? I think it's really interesting to kind of see the dynamic of who we're seeing. I was sharing earlier that I take a lot of data on our clients, and it's interesting that a lot of our clients are first-time counseling clients, and so the need is there, and the healing is happening for those that are coming forward. Interesting enough, a lot of the clients that we see are usually the teens or the younger generation, because the, the families are willing to send their kids. But when you ask them, well, why don't you come in? They're like, well, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. They just, they need the help. And there's still that stigma of, you know, getting help, what does that mean? My teen needs it, but I, I'm okay, I'm good. And the adults that we do see, I can't tell you how many of them our, our clients are the oldest daughter in the family, and dealing with the pressure and the responsibility and the expectations that come with that when their parents, or it's passed down from generation to generation, we all know that, that there's kind of this hidden expectation of what you do, what's expected of you, 
being the role model, making the right choices, and what happens when you veer off of that? You know, and so trying to help people kind of come into themselves and you can respect your culture, but you can also be your, indiv your own individual self too. And so there's a lot of stigma still, I think, with the older generation. There's a lot of unknowns and what does that mean and what are, they, are the other people gonna say, whoever the other people are, because there's still an unwritten expectation of what it is to be a man or a woman in the Latino community. And when you veer off of that, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your family? What does that mean for the community? And so hopefully, you know, as we start to see more healing, and I think with COVID, that's kind of opened the conversation a lot more, that people will see that it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, but it means that you're willing to step up Try to figure out how to be the best version of yourself. How do you overcome some of the traumas that were unknowingly passed down so that you can fulfill your potential? So when it comes to first, you know, first and second gen, you know, Sandra, you were OBGYN for 10 years and a lot of your patients were Spanish speaking and, you know, because you were the only Spanish speaking doctor in your practice. So, what are the things that you would see within that, like kind of in the same vein, right, in regards to self-care, especially for women and being able, like, is it something they were truly able to accept or do you think, obviously being Spanish speaking helps tremendously, but what are the things that you would see in that area where people were resistant to help themselves or where do you feel like that the most resistance was in regards to women taking care of themselves, especially when it comes to their uterine health. So I think it kind of mirrors uh, what Dr. Letty said. So yeah, I was one of very few Spanish-speaking obstetrics and gynecologists in the area, which is the majority of the population there in Oakland is probably about 99% Hispanic. And so one of the goals uh, coming out of medical school or residency was that that's the population that I wanted to cater to just because they're, I mean, my mom went to uh, a man, English speaker, so I don't even know how she got through going to her GYN, you know, because we were too little, or even um, surviving birth, all three of us in an English speaking hospital. So that's incredible. And so... Um, so I was very fortunate that the majority of my patients were Spanish speakers, and then later I uh, started working for Los Barrios, and there was, I mean, there it's like about, yeah, my own percent, you know, Spanish speakers. So, number one, just the familiarity, and you could just see how patients were way more comfortable opening up to somebody who speaks the language. It makes a huge difference. I really hate to say that, but it's true, and it's not just for Hispanics, but it's for Asians. Um, they want to see somebody who looks like them so that they can understand, you know, the culture. Um, you know, there's, there are certain things that we understand a little bit better when it comes to our culture. Um, just the way I was able to, speaking with patients, it's just very different than when I had a Caucasian, you know, patient come in. Um, it, there's just a familiarity. I mean, you're basically family, and that's exactly what I wanted. And again, that helps them open up a little bit more, but not as much as I wanted to because there were instances where women, it didn't matter the race, would not specifically tell you what's going on. I mean, having a baby is really hard, and the good thing of 2023 is that's coming to life. You know, we have a huge, Texas is one of the worst in maternal mortality, 
Um, so that's one of my goals when I come to, to the county is to help with that. And it's just very hard. And the fact that we're, we're supposed to go back in six weeks and I just had a baby. Are you kidding me? You know, that just doesn't make any sense. And so there's a lot of stress, especially if you already have children at home. Trying to uh, manage all those things at once, of course, that definitely leads to postpartum depression. And that those were usually, that was usually the topic that women did not want to bring up. Everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm the woman. I'm taking care of everything. You know, I can do this. And sure, but not really. And so uh, as an example, I was telling Dr. Lecky, I had a patient who came in, and if it wasn't for her husband that spoke up and said, you're not fine, and you need to tell her, then I wouldn't have known. Maybe it is I'm not asking the right questions. Maybe maybe that's what I was doing. But again, there's this sense of that as women, we we have to be able to take care of everything, you know, especially when we go back to work and the children. And we do that, but we do need a little bit of help. So I did come across a lot, a lot of those hard conversations that women were just not opening up to. And then when it came to you know, annual visits, a lot of women do not know a lot about their bodies and what questions they need to ask, you know. Luckily, I, you know, now that I finished my preventive medicine residency, I'm a little bit more geared towards preventative, um, you know, testing and things like that, but a lot of women were unaware of what tests to get when I turned this age, or what does that mean with the results, or, you know, so a lot of questions were, were like, well, have you had this done? Well, no, I didn't, I didn't know what that I had to ask my doctor, so... Luckily for us, we are, um, you know, the only physician for females sometimes. So we do have to cover, you know, cardiology and mental health and things like that. But a lot of women out there just are not aware of what questions anybody asks me. What needs to be done? What does this mean? But not just that, you know, when I ask about, oh, what were the results? Oh, well, nobody called me. And advocate for yourself. Call the doctor's office. Get on your medical chart. You know, do you have you know access to your medical chart? What are they saying about you? What is going on? Ask questions. Um, so luckily, there's there's a lot of it's a little bit there's more facility when it comes to that. You know, your doctor will answer your questions, but just knowing what to ask, what needs to be done, you know, things like that are, are just very important. And those are questions that we're not asking, and not just in doctors' offices, but also in emergency rooms. You know, there's I don't know the the actual percentage, but women. The majority of the time are being not looked at properly in emergency rooms, especially when, well, you'll probably talk about that heart attack. You know, women experience heartburn and they're being sent home and they're dying or, you know, our pain. They don't take our pain seriously. Us women and the African-American community, they don't listen to us when we go to emergency rooms or eat sometimes in doctor's offices. So a lot of it, you know, you were talking about advocacy. You have to advocate for yourself. You know, I come from, my parents are an example. Oh, you know, before I use now, I'm 100% micromanaging their hair now. As they're elderly, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of us end up doing. But I'm realizing that, yeah, you know, they would come home and I would ask, you know, well, what did you, what did the doctor tell you? Did you ask this? No, no, pregunté. Why? They have an English speaker. I'm like, well, you have a translator here. No, I didn't ask. And well, what did you say? But what did they say about this? No, I didn't ask. There's a lot of that going on. And I'm like, why are you not asking? And not just the Hispanics, but... I talk to people all the time, and people are just not asking questions, and I'm like, why are you not asking questions? Ask the questions. My mom speaks English, and half the time doesn't remember what the doctor says. Exactly. I don't know. Right. She comes out of the class, oh, I don't know. I'm like, that's not what the That is not what You have to advocate for yourself, for your care, um, you know, 
sometimes you are not getting, I hear that all the time, you're not getting the care you were supposed to get. Why didn't you? You know, of course doctors are like, they don't want the difficult patients, but it's like, you know what? We're at a time and place where, you know what? People are going to have to start doing that because, you know, they're not getting the, the there are, not all doctors are bad, um, but for the bad ones, yeah, it makes, you know, everybody else look, look really bad. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm a strong proponent for, you know, you know getting that medical chart, asking the questions, taking responsibility of your healthcare, but also now you are in control of your health as well. That's another topic that I can get into. It's like, you know, just because there's no longer, oh, well, the doctor told me to do this. If you have a good doctor, the doctor's going to say, what do you want to do? Let's talk about this. Because medicine is not the way to go anymore. Lifestyle medicine is. You know, have you tried diet? Have you tried exercise? You know, not just, you know, putting them on some kind of medication or whatnot. That's not the way to do things anymore. It's like, you can actually, you actually have a say of what you want to do. It's your body, your responsibility, you know, just Francesca, in that same vein, right? I, obviously, heart health is a really big thing, especially for women, and it's not really talked about. So when it comes to heart health in women, and women of color in particular, what are the things that the American Heart Association is, is seeing and trying to advocate for? Yes, well, first of all, I'm going to give you kudos um, because for putting on this event. Uh, again, I'm going to give you another hand clap for that. And so let's give you another um, and then also I'm going to give kudos to these two wonderful doctoras who are sitting here. Um, one of the key things that I know I'm focused on is representation in medicine. We are, Hispanic uh, Latinos are 20% of the population. We will be 25% probably in less than five years. We are only 7% of physicians. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even count female physicians or male physicians. So we are 7%, meaning that when we walk into a healthcare center or a hospital, we may not see a person who shares our same name or who speaks our language or has the same lived experience. We all know we're different, we all have lived experiences, but we know we have that commonality, right? Because of how we've kind of gone through the world. And so that's why it's so important. And we actually do have data now that talks about when a care team is representative of the patient, there are better health outcomes. Through the study of Latinos, which is a sole study that's been going on for about 20-something years, um, as well as a recent study that came out in, um, I believe it was Delaware, a particular county, where all of the care teams were African-American and the patients were also African-American, and health across the board from those modifiable and even non-modifiable, from chronic illness. So we have the data now that says you have to be, if you want better health outcomes, a healthcare team should look like the community you're serving. Plain and simple. And that's one of the things that we at the American Heart Association are really focused on. And not just us, with the American Medical Association, the National Medical Association, National Medical Association, all of the different medical associations we know that representation in care is so important. And not just in care, but also in research, right? Because before you get that care, it has to be research. We have to understand, you know, how protein is working, interacting with, right, a muscle and, and is getting this effect. So even in research, right, and then also in policy. So representation is important. And I'll talk a little bit later about something that we're, we're doing a specific program, but heart health, yes, is so connected. 
I always like to start with definitions because it helps ground us all, and especially now in our current culture of words being used for certain things. Um, health. Health is the um, complete state of physical, mental, and social well-being, and not just merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So what we did earlier, that was part of our health. Coming here together is part of our health. Right, going into to see a doctor is part of our health. Not, and not just what we eat or everything is a part of our health, right? So with that perspective, we know that we also have to make sure that the full um, woman is being taken care of, right? Um, we'll go back to um, signs and symptoms. A couple of years ago, about 25 years ago, we started a campaign called Go Red for Women because we were realizing, oh wow, when women have heart attacks, they present totally different than men because, unfortunately, the research was done on white males when heart attacks were presented. One of the first and early research, right? We now know that's why diversification in clinical trials is so important um, and studies. So we realized, okay, and yes, women present differently with a heart attack. Many times it's jaw aching, it's an upset stomach, it's backache, it's a lower backache. I mean, there's some women, and so it's important to know what those warning signs are and your risk factors as well. And so our aim is that every woman knows their own body, knows the questions to ask, knows the numbers to know, and then takes control of their health. There are three numbers that everyone should know when you go into a doctor's office, and they're gonna take it anyways. Is your blood pressure? your cholesterol, and also your glucose, right? Those are the tests that you get. And many times when we hear from patients, oh, they said it was good. Mm -hmm. What's good? I ask them, what, what was the actual number, right? So when you have those three numbers and they say good, what's your blood pressure? It's good. No, 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 I want to know the number. 120 over 80, ideal. Anything over that, what do we need to do? Lifestyle modification, medication, what is it? So knowing those numbers and being armed with that information is so, so important because then we can ask the right questions, right? We can have a little bit of peace of mind. We can find advocates, right, who can help us. Like, well, they said it was high and I can do this or that or, well, these are the questions you should ask. So representation, also knowing the, the um, again, the signs and symptoms of a heart attack. Stroke also is a very important thing to know. The risk factors for stroke are the same as a heart attack. A stroke is, um, their uh, high blood pressure actually is one of the key risk factors for stroke. And stroke is important too because that can be prevented, right? Also, those three numbers, knowing your family history is so important. We just had a story come out yesterday on our news from the heart that most people, especially those who are diverse, maybe don't know their family history especially if they're recent immigrants or first generation, they don't know their family history. And so if you have the opportunity and you are blessed enough to have your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, aunts and uncles, ask them, does heart attack run in our family? Does stroke run in our family? High blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, right? All of those chronic illnesses. So that way you can be better armed. I used to say family history, right? That genetic predisposition, it's important. I always like to say those are cards that we're dealt, right? And we can either play them 
or we can leave them on the table by our lifestyle. And so if we have diabetes that runs in our family, we can um, monitor our nutrition, we can get more active, we can go to the doctor for more preventative care. And so know your family history, know your numbers, know what the signs and symptoms of a, of a heart attack and stroke are, and yes, be your advocate. Ask questions. You've been through a lot of training, but you are not the, you know, the number, what we like to say is that that is not God, right? A doctor is not God. They are human, just like us. They make mistakes, and they also are taking in all this information and seeing multiple, multiple patients every day, um, so they're having to navigate this. So ask questions, and most doctors want that interaction. They want to be asked those questions. They want to know that what more information do you want, right? So I'll just say that, and there's so much more we can go into. But yes, lots, lots that we should know, but health is everything, first of all. You know, inside the clinic and outside the clinic as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that there's a lot of information that you can share. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Cheese Smith. As you may or may not know, I've been traveling quite a bit for the Wine and Cheese Smith podcast tour. So when I traveled to Dallas, although I have a lot of friends I could have stayed with, I did not want to impose on anyone. Enter the Beeman Hotel. Located in Dallas Park Cities, the Beeman Hotel felt like I was staying with friends. The staff was incredibly warm and friendly. The food was crazy yummy, and it's centrally located to get wherever you need in Dallas. So whether you're traveling for business or pleasure, the Beeman Hotel will ignite your curious side with stylish interiors, artistic details, pet-friendly suites, and its uniquely Dallas attitude. Make sure to visit thebeemanhotel.com for your next trip to the Big D. Veronica right Torres Hasley, also the owner of D12 Yoga, for providing and a free panel meditation and sound bath. Right? I also want to make sure that so I give a shout out to my friend Scott from Orbo so Productions for providing the most amazing video. Thank you so much. And of course, to all those who attended and made my dreams come true, I appreciate you more than you could ever know. Muchos abrazos to you all. How people are approaching their own health and good about it. Teens and adults. I think a lot of us are get caught up in, in the videos and the TikToks and all of those things. And like anything else, it can become addictive. And so we have to monitor and, and be mindful of how we're using it. But also be mindful of who's putting out the content. Because I can't tell you how many times we have people come into the, into the therapy room and they're like, okay, I did my research, <laughs> and based on that, I'm either depressed, I'm on the spectrum, or um, I have multiple well, yeah, personalities. <laughs> <laughs> and so really understanding that that is just one person's opinion, and they're sharing their perspective, but that, that is not the truth, and that, that is not a diagnosis, and everybody's different, and, and symptoms present similar that may not be related, like trauma symptoms may look like depression, it may look like anxiety, but it's really 
a result of the trauma. And so it takes the professional to come in and really understand what's going on so they know how to help you overcome whatever you're going through. And if you take what you learn from, from social media and run with it, you may not be treating your symptoms the way that they should be treated or are going to be the most beneficial for you. And so just being really careful with what you see and and remember that who, even if they are a licensed professional, it's still just their opinion. Yeah, I agree with you, Jessica. Social media is good and bad. And so I just um, uh, did a talk about, was it last year? Two, no, two years ago, I did a workshop at the ACPM conference in Denver regarding misinformation. And so, um, especially, uh, and then it had to do with media and blah, blah. But, you know, as we all learned during the COVID, it was an experience for everybody. We all received all sorts of information from everywhere. And, um, and everybody ran with it. And especially then with the vaccine started, oh God, don't even get me started on that vaccine, but um, a lot of misinformation was out there. And so I would always joke, it's like, you know, I participated with Dallas County placing the COVID vaccine, so I would place it, and and people would be like, oh, that's it? And I'm like, I don't know what people were expecting, like a huge needle or just something different than what you're used to. So that just gave you that head Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's always been normal. So I don't know what people are expecting, but that just kind of gives you an idea of what what people um, were reading about this vaccine. And so, um, you know, as part of my talk, like what you said, it's it's always, um, you know, a lot of what a lot of people do is like they'll read headlines only without reading, you know, the entire article. You know, headlines are there to you know to scare you, to grab your attention. Um, and whatnot, but you always want to make sure that you're reading the entire article. When was it published? Because sometimes I get stuff sent to me that, oh, well, that was in, you know, tw- uh, 1974. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't apply to us in 2023. Or who wrote it? Number three, who wrote it? Who is your source? So one of the questions that I always ask when, you know, somebody, we're in conversation and they'll throw something random, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds interesting. Well, who said that? Where did you get that from? Well, I just saw it somewhere on Facebook. Again, who said that? Who, you know, who wrote it or whatnot? And the major, I think about maybe close to 100% of the time when I look at myself, I'm like, oh, this is completely different than what you're telling me. Here you go, I just educated you, you know, in about 40 seconds. And so, um, yeah, just reading the WHO got so bad that the WHO actually came out with guidelines about. They had some little term for it um, regarding all this information that we were receiving that, you know, half, I don't know statistics, but some of it was true, some was not. But yeah, just take a look at it, educate yourself, read about it, who said it, where did it come from, fact check it. There's a lot of fact checkers out there that you can, you just, I just fact checked um, just now, but yeah, it's like, you know, fact, it's easy to do it. And, I, and I'm starting to see that a little bit on Facebook also where it'll, somebody will post something on the very bottom, which I was really happy about that, that it's a fact checker, fact checker, and it'll say yes or no, it is true, it's not true. So just kind of it's being mindful and also being mindful of when you post information on, in, on any social media, because something that really stuck to me is, is I heard in a TikTok is that we are all publishers if you think about it, because you are putting that on there 
you know, your friends are seeing it. Just imagine how many, like, you know, probably like a million people after you post something will probably see the same thing. So always be, just kind of think, consider what you're putting out there. Um, again, if it's, if it's a fact, it's rejected or whatever, then go ahead, yeah, retweet it or whatever. But it's astonishing how much misinformation, and that gets, more, that gets retweeted more than real information. So always keep that in mind, is what you're posting, what people are posting, read it, always fact check, and, um, and you know, who your source is is very important. Yes, sourcing is very important. Um, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. Didn't just start in 2020, we know that it started back probably in 2015, right? Um, with information that we know wasn't true. Um, I believe it was during COVID, 21, 2021, um, we actually started a campaign because we, when we looked at the, the data about uh, COVID-19 vaccinations, we saw, right, that there were a lot of Hispanic Latinos who were not being vaccinated. Why is that? Where, where the, first of all, where are they getting information, right? Is it getting, is the correct information getting through with the messengers to the community that is needed? And there was a study that was published that unfortunately, um, you know, let's talk about Meta, Facebook, right? Um, they had said, we're gonna crack down on misinformation, right? We're gonna make sure that everything is fact-checked. Well, they were doing that for English. They weren't doing that for Spanish. So there was 40% more misinformation on the Spanish Facebook than was on the English Facebook. So if you're thinking, if you are living in a world where you have two languages, right, or you have, family members who speak multiple languages. Someone's getting information in Spanish over here that is not correct. Someone's getting information over here in English. How do I reconcile them? I don't know, I'm not just gonna listen to anybody. You know, I'm just gonna throw my hands up in the air and just not. So that's why it's so important that, as Deirdre was saying, that we all pass on this, the, the correct information to our best ability. Go fact check it. And we're not gonna put a plug, of course, for the Heart Association, but not just heart but also, you know, diabetes.org, right? Um, believe it or not, WebMD does have some, some good information. The Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, right? Reputable healthcare hospital systems that, you know, are research-based. We are research-based. We don't put anything out until it's been researched and then it's been fact-checked by other physicians in the community that are not paid for by us. They are volunteers. So when you go to those types of organizations, you know that they've gone through some vetting. We have a science team, and they will look at every single little thing. We change a word, we have to send it back to our science team. That's how much, that's how much rigor we have with the information we put on our websites. So yes, if it comes up in Dr. Google, right? Go find the source for it. Go to our Yeah. Go, you know, doctor, and, and when Dr. Google says it, okay, that's great. But I'm going to trust Dr. Sandra, who's had more than seven years of, you know, medical education, um, as well as uh, organizations that are based in research. So, yes, it's so important, and that's also why language is so important. That's why, again, representation is so important, not just in the clinical, but also who was there at Facebook who spoke a second language, who was saying, maybe we should put some parameters over here. Right? Who is working on those blog sites and the news sites, right? Who have our interests at heart? That's why representation in all sectors are so important. So that way we can know that at least our voice is being heard or it's at the table. 
So it's very important. Use social media for good. They, they, I can't believe it's already almost five o'clock. <laughs> so I want to ask a final question for each of you guys, and if anybody has any questions, then and then we'll I'll say a couple things to wrap things up. But Dr. Letty, actually, for all of you, like when you're looking for a mental health professional, and when you're looking to talk, look, I, I know it's very hard to get our parents, sometimes our significant others, whatever, to go to to take it seriously because they think. Like you said, I don't need it, I don't need it. Or they think, why, why one time and I didn't like it? How do you overcome those obstacles from a mental health perspective and then even from a medical perspective in regards to making sure somebody is taking care of their mental health and their physical health? With our community, what we know, so all of the, the counselors that work for our center are bilingual, and so we know that language is very important. But the other thing we know about our community is that we're very relational. And so relationships are very, very important. And so we really make it a point to get to know the individual that's in our office, make them feel comfortable, build that relationship before we dive into all the intake stuff that happens. But the other thing is we try to let them know and empower them that the relationship is the most important thing when it comes to mental health. And research has shown that the therapeutic relationship is more healing than any modality we could use in the therapy room. And so if you don't feel comfortable with your, the person that you're in the room with, that's okay. We'll find you another one that maybe you feel better with and there's no hard feelings. We will not be hurt by that because we want you to be with the right person. And so much so, that what the other part of what we do is we really empower our clinicians to to go out and fly and open their own practices too and we tell them take your clients with you because the continuity of care is so important if they found somebody that they click with they need to stay with that therapist we're not going to keep them just because they were our clients because we know relationship is so important and so we try to explain to them you know just come in and talk to us and what they find a lot of times is once they come in, they're like, oh, that wasn't bad, we were just talking. And sometimes it's different for the Hispanic community than other communities because in therapy, you set goals and you reach your goals and then you're like, okay, are you ready to, to, to fly? And, and a lot of times they're like, they just want to come in and talk. And we may not be working on a specific goal, but just the fact that they came in and were able to, to tell us about all the cheese in the family is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And they feel so much better because they got it off their chest and they were able to process what happened at the barbecue and then they're, they're ready to go for the week. And so, so we know it looks different. And I think that's the most important thing is, is just get them through the door so they can see that it's, it's not scary and it's not something to be scared, you know, that is going to be stigmatizing and we're not going to make them cry every time they come. And it's just an opportunity for them to process their feelings. Yeah, I think for um, for the medical field, I think it, it, a lot has to do with education. Like, probably in, in, in for everyone's field um, sitting here, it's just educating people, women, men, about I guess the process. Like for for when I was in in my private practice, I mean nobody likes to go into a gynecologist. Like nobody does, right? <laughs> and so. Um, so women talk, you know, I feel pain about all this and that, but it's like, 
you have to understand this is, you know, the proceed what I'm doing. So they're going to be a little bit uncomfortable walking them through it. Because if not, if you don't say anything, then women, oh, it hurt. And I, don't go, because it's going to hurt. You know what I mean? So uh, a lot of stigma when it comes to GYN visits. And so I think just educating on mental health. This is the process of what happens when you go see a, you know, a specialist. This is what happens when you get this procedure done um, to kind of just talk it through and um, for all of us to talk to our family members, talk to other women. Um, you know, if you're sitting around the table asking questions, asking your tia, hey, what was it like? I'm gonna go do my first visit. What was this like? You know, getting that information, not just um, showing up and then having to go through it by yourself. Um, it's just very important so that um, you're gonna keep up with, with your care. Um, I mean, I was sitting, I remember many years ago, um, I was sitting uh, with my family down in Mexico and, you know, my cousins were all talking to us and I'm just sitting there and they looked at me and they're like, okay, number one, like they broke their, 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 their silence. They're like, number one, we don't know what to call you anymore. Do we call you doctor? Do we still call you your nickname? You know, we don't know. Um, and then I said, I'm like, oh, you guys can call me whatever you want or whatever. So then that opened up a can of worms because then all the questions started flowing. Well, we want to know about this and, you know, whatever. And I was, I was glad that they opened up and, you know, because I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm a resource. And I always tell my family, you know, contact me. Ask me questions. I love to answer questions. I love to educate. Um, because, again, there's a lot of mis it goes back to misinformation about, about medicine and testing. And, you know, oh, I don't want to go because they're going to tell me something's wrong. And, you know, and they're going to they're gonna do all sorts of things to me, you know, and things like that. And it's like, no, it's not prevention. Like, people do not understand what prevention is. It's like... You know, oh, I don't go to the doctor until I get sick. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Um, you have to, you know, it's, it's incredible how many times I still hear that. I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm not sick. I'm like, no, but they can do all these things to prevent you from getting sicker. And, and some people, I do change their minds and others I do not. But, again, it just rolls back to edu education, education, education. Back to the, you know, whatever the doctor, well, don't put gas in our car when we run out of gas, right? We've got to keep putting the gas in the car, right? Um, so, yes, I want to go back to mental and, um, you know, health. Um, we took a couple of a bold steps, you know, a science-based organization, the Heart Association, American Heart Association. Mental health is a key component to cardiovascular health. Like, we have data now, we have science, we have studies that say when we have a viewpoint of gratitude and gratefulness, you actually can have better health outcomes, right? When you have a social support system, better health outcomes, right? So mental health is so key, again. And it's just talking. So I will say, you know, I've seen a mental health professional before. It was hard, but it helped. We are not given tools on how to navigate this world. And so what a mental health professional does, it, it helps give you some of those tools, right? Wherever you are. Um, so I'm just gonna put a plug in for mental health because that's a very, very important. Or just coming here and taking a meditation class or a yoga class. And I know in yoga, you can just lay down, right? Because sometimes it's just not, it's just not a day. Just lay down. And then if, I'm sure if you start throwing, she'll, she'll nudge you a little bit. Uh, but, you know, being in this community, taking time, women especially, majority, in this room are women taking the time, taking a breath, taking a step back, taking that five minutes, right? When you wake up in the morning, I'll ask you, how do you start your day? Is it grab the phone 
Is it a moment of gratitude? Is it taking a deep breath and stretching? Just look at your day and look at times where you can um, have that moment of gratitude, but then also um, stop and pulse check yourself. How am I feeling? What's going on? I've been having this neck pain for the last two weeks. Maybe I should go get that checked out. Yes, go, go get that checked out. So being an advocate is so important. Again, knowing the right questions to ask. Um, we have to talk to each other. Information is power. Knowledge is power. That's why there's so much information out there. Because if you had the right knowledge, you'd be able to make the decision, right? That can give you even more power. We can get into that, right? Okay. Um, so knowledge, share knowledge, right? Um, ask family members again about the family history, but then also what should I expect? Or even, even better, now have a family or friend, someone you trust, right? That can go with you to that doctor's appointment. Because I always say, when information's coming at me, I'm like, process, process, process. But then I know five hours later, it's gonna click something else, right? Someone else can be in the room that can take in that information, maybe ask some questions, jot some notes down. So um, I would always say, take an advocate as well. And another voice, another person that can be a voice for you. So those are some of the things, but yes, mental health, another big plug for mental health. Know the numbers, know what questions to ask. And if you don't like your doctor, it's okay. That's true. Or your therapist. Okay. Yes. So actually, I just want to share something really quick because this kind of really, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this because my mom is a twice survivor of breast cancer. She's <laughs> But here's the thing. The first, like the second time she had breast cancer, it was in the same breast that she had already had a mastectomy on. And she had reconstructive surgery. And she was like, when she went to the doctor, and she's like, something's not right. The doctor's like, well, it's because you have an implant. And of course, it's not part of your body. Of course it doesn't feel. She was like, no. And I was in the room with her. No, something's not right. Something's not right. And I was like, I finally got so mad because my mom was like, no, something's not right. And I was like, you need to listen to this woman. <laughs> If she says something's not right, because I think so as women, we tend to hold on to a lot of pain. Oh, it doesn't hurt that much. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Then that's how they discovered she had breast cancer in the second, because she fought for herself. They finally did another mammogram and found out she had breast cancer in the same breast that she had a full mastectomy on. So honestly, that's kind of what prompted this journey to be able to want to talk about, like, how do we advocate for ourselves? What do we do? Because so many of us, like I said, at the beginning are taught, doctors are gods. Do what the doctor says. I have, I know I have many friends in here who have been the translators for their parents, who have had to, they don't know what's going on. When you're a kid, you don't know what's going on. You're just translating. You have no idea what that means. How is, you know, and then you're, how are your parents supposed to process that? Because you're just translating something from what doctors say. So, that's kind of what prompted me wanting to do this conversation in regards to health and wellness. Because it's so important for us to have these conversations, to know like it's okay to change doctors, it's okay to change therapists, it's okay to not know because you don't know what you don't know. So I want to thank all three of you guys so much and Veronica. Thank you so much.
Sinai Collective. I want to thank Ale and May and, and their mom for being here. So please make sure to check out their booth out there, support. I want to thank Scott for being our videographer today. <laughs> and thank you guys so much for coming. There is a lot of wine. You can buy bottles of wine if you would like. And actually, like the rosé and the um, white wine is $19, and then everything else is just $25. So if you want to buy bottles of wine, and they're Latino-owned, so we have Seis Soles, Chris Rivera is a friend of mine, well, both of them are friends of mine, and Solorio. They're actually way more expensive, but they donated this wine for the event, and I still want to make sure I'm giving something back to them. So please um, support, buy some wine, buy something from Cadena Collective, take some pictures. Thank you guys. Like I said, this has been my dream, and you are part of that, and I appreciate you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.